really was hard work and some pretty important people like your grandfather that's and your it. grandmother. Yeah. That's pretty, yeah. and does discount your mom at all. She no, 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 no. She obviously set a tone for you she did. around hard work and effort. She that did. You could see modeled. Yeah. I saw know, it modeled. So. Yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head. It's that one person or those few people in your life that come alongside you and say, hey, you can do this. And it's going to be hard. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, and when you know that intrinsically, you, you face it different. When you know that there will be trouble, it's, we read that, right? The Bible tells us that. But when you know, hey, this is not going to come easy, and you hear in your mind your grandfather say, anything that's worth having is worth working for, which is effort. You have to put the work into yeah. it. And that became my adage when I was growing up, when I would fail. All right, I learned not to do it that way. Hey, this is Paul again from the IT Company and your host for the Made Right Here podcast. We are on episode two with Christian Clevenger of Integrity Labs. This episode, we're going to hear a lot about COVID-19 and what it looked like to run a lab during that and how Christian has learned the importance of uh, and value of hiring the right people. And in his scenario, extraordinarily bright people, PhDs. So have a listen to episode two with Christian Clevenger. Can you explain? I think one thing that probably most people that listen won't understand is what does a lab do? Like, yeah, probably yeah. most of us know, like, we go get blood work, right? And we get a bill from LabCorp, right, to analyze our blood, yes, and all these things. So, that's probably yes. for the most part the extent of the average person's understanding of a lab. But yes. labs can do a lot of different stuff, they do. And there is that pure lab that is like a LabCorp or a Quest diagnostic. But then there's a hybrid lab like Integrity. We do almost all of our own R&D in-house as well. So uh, we specialize in modern infectious diseases. So we've been busy yeah, with COVID-19. COVID and, yeah, and sure. the ensuing monkeypox, which we don't know how all that's going to pan out. But we were one of the uh, we were the number four commercial lab in the United States to develop our COVID-19 assay. Really? And number 11 overall in the United States behind Harvard, Yale, like some of those other big names. But as far as private companies, we're the fourth in the country. Inc incredible group that work in our organization. We have some very talented PhDs that work inside our organization. We have lab managers that have 25, 30 years of experience in the day-to-day -day operational side of the lab. Laboratories are under a lot of scrutiny. And FDA as, primarily, FDA, that's the well, primary governing in, body? In our case, it's been the FDA with some of the recent the, testing the and the CDC. Yeah. Generally speaking, we are governed under College of American Pathology, which does answer directly to to the FDA. Okay. It's very a rigorous. federal body, a federal it, regulatory it is. body. Okay. Yeah. And to add to that, the state of Tennessee has its own set of requirements okay. that are above and beyond most other states out there. Okay. So we have to have a really rigid state okay. accreditation as well. So we it should be this way. Yeah. We have at least two surveys every year, one federal and one state mm -hmm. survey. And we traditionally pass those surveys with 100%. So we spend a lot of time ensuring that our quality control processes are where they need to be. There aren't many labs that do what we do here, and certainly aren't many that are working in the infectious disease world. I don't know of many. We have a customer that's a lab, Assured Bio Labs. Is a customer uh -huh. They don't do what you do. They do some, mm -hmm. honestly, 
I'm ashamed to say, I'm not exactly sure what no, they that's do. Okay. <laughs> so, that's all right. Labs but, can do a lot but, of different yeah, things. And I know they don't do what you do. I know of Galbraith Labs. Again, yes. I don't know what they, yes. I actually don't even know what they do. I only know about them because a friend of mine worked there. And then I know about you. Yeah. <laughs> And then Quest and LabCorp because yeah. I get a bill yeah. <laughs> from those Don't guys, we all? From those guys. So I think it is interesting that there's this, just like there's an everything, there's almost like a subculture going on of things that, and like what you said, like infectious disease, big deal, or especially in the world we live in today, really big deal yeah. with COVID and monkeypox yeah. and all the other things that are out there. So when did you know COVID was a thing? <laughs> like you tracking it back in 19? Were you so guys already seeing it? We knew something was, we had heard about cases. Mm -hmm. And actually, Tracy, my wife got it uh, Super Bowl weekend January in 2020 or January 2020. Yeah, she had verbatim. When you looked at the original COVID-19 symptoms, she had every one of them. And Taste, she, smell, headache, all of it. Bit, yeah. yeah. And she had been to a, a school gathering the week prior. Mm -hmm. And apparently there were several other teachers who, and teachers and students and other moms who had gotten the same infection. So yeah. We knew something was different. We were already doing some work on a different COVID, or I'm sorry, on a different coronavirus strain, standard strain that you would see on any given year. And so when we began to hear about this on the West Coast, we started preparing. And for us, that means checking with our, the state labs to find out what they're seeing, ordering in any kind of assays that we might need to test ours against and primers that we use a lot of. We use a process called PCR or a technology called PCR. Which we heard a lot about. A lot PCR about testing. PCR. Yeah. Yeah. And we had just moved into the PCR world about two years prior. And we were just starting to develop some PCR testing. And so the timing was good for us. And we ordered everything that we could order. And we followed as closely as we could. Yeah. To be able to develop a test for it, you have to have the virus. You have just, to have, you have to so have it. So do you just it. order yeah. it? Is it just like this thing you have you, a catalog and you're like, yeah. I need the coronavirus. <laughs> like, how does somebody do that? You pray that you, you have connections and folks that are willing to send you specimens that have tested positive okay. for the clinical specimens. And we did have folks yeah. that, that okay. were willing to provide us with those specimens. And then you have companies out there that replicate the virus synthetically. Okay. So they'll take that virus and they'll they'll run the entire DNA coding on it and they'll replicate it. And then you can order that synthetically and then can begin to to build your assays oh, around it from a synthetic perspective. And then you test it in, in, in live humans. And we early on, we tested hundreds of patient specimens before we were able to release our test into the general public for consumption, but we had, we could detect it with just five copies of the virus. So very sensitive test that we had. Yeah. Was it what you were doing, or maybe you still are doing, we have all these home tests and everything else, but was yours like, I go to the doctor, they take a specimen, they send it to you, and then you tell us whether or not, yes, you're positive or negative. And then eventually those got to the point where they were actually at the physicians and it was it your tests? So... The way that we have operated since inception is through our lab developed test. And so we uh, we have a courier network, cars that go to all of the facilities and pick up our okay. test. And then one of the advantages that we have uh, as a small local company, neighborhood company, if you will, or community organization is we're here. The specimens, uh, they don't go on an airplane and go to Burlington, North Carolina for LabCorp somewhere else. And so generally by the time LabCorp was receiving the specimens, we were reporting them out. And so that was particularly helpful early on with the physicians, the ER physicians that were seeing these patients in the ER or physicians, the hospitalists that were rounding on these patients 
they would quarantine them and they couldn't see them. Or if they did see them, they would have to put all this protect, all the protective gear on. Be, yeah. And sometimes it was up to a week to 10 days before they were getting results back with the out-of-town labs. Because we were local, we were able to give them insight into treating these patients within 12 to 24 hours. Wow. So. Crazy to think as you talk about this, I think about like where we were in 2020. Yeah. PE yeah. and whole units of hospitals shut down. Shut down. Just be COVID. All COVID. We, I was, my mom is, is in the hospital in Bristol and she was the neurology unit and we were talking to the nurse and she said during COVID, we were a COVID unit. The whole neurology unit was shut down Wow! and we were a COVID unit. And so it's just crazy to think like where we are today versus it really it's is. almost surreal. It, it, it <laughs> is. It's almost it like is. surreal. Like yeah. it, you can think of those show the movies or documentaries came out about Ebola Yes. Where you saw this, it's all, we live feel like a, kind of a version it. of that. Like yeah. it's pretty wild. Yeah. And it's interesting you say about your wife getting it Super Bowl week in February. I think there were a ton of us. Like I got sick right around that time. Yeah. And I would yeah. say those are similar. I had yes. the same symptoms yes. that I had before. So it's just really interesting. Like what we didn't know. And then all of a sudden, like the hysteria, which found there was reason sure. to be freaked out. That kind of went on for that nine to 12 month period. It's just wild. It's wild. Just the virility, just how easy it was, the transmissibility of it, Amazing. just how easy it is to transmit. I mean, think about the flu. You can steer clear of somebody, stay distant from them, and not have to worry about the flu or a common cold in yeah. these cases. COVID, you're within a 10, 15 feet of mm. them for any period of time, you're very likely yeah. infected. That's crazy. I think we've, I don't know if you've seen this, but we've seen this. There's definitely been a sharp curve of just people being more sick. We see it all. And I, I don't know if that there's, some psychology to it, or if there's just the physical, I don't know, I, of course I'm not a scientist, I don't pretend to be, but it's just anecdotally, it just feels like people are more sick. I personally experienced it in the last month and a half. I had COVID about, about a month ago, a little over a month and a half ago, and it just sticks with you. Yeah. It takes you longer to shake it. You know? Yeah. So I agree with what you're saying. There's, there's definitely a difference in the length of sickness, I think, but also the severity. Yeah. Yeah, and the lingering, yeah, definitely. I, I had it, whatever. I think I may have had it then, but then officially swiped the note. Mm -hmm. You have it September of 2020. Okay. And it was probably February of 21 before I could, like, physically do the things that I once did. Like, yes. I would run. I'd just be like, yes, gas. can't breathe. And yes. it's just, I'm so more winded yeah. and, and everything else. And I would even say even today. It's different. I just don't I feel agree. exactly the same as I once did. And I was obviously ground zero, first version. <laughs> B1. Yeah. What is a, there's a couple other questions I'll ask you that are a little different, but what is a coronavirus? What is, what the heck is that? <laughs> Why is it called a coronavirus? That's a question that I would truly leave up to our PhDs okay. uh, to talk about. Coronaviruses, and certainly now with all the variants that are right. involved in them. It, it's uh, more of a, ca it's a, ca like, it's a I don't want to say a catch-all, but it's a, it's a category. Of a category. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then COVID-19 is just like SARS. These mm -hmm. are, it's a thing inside, inside of that, that category. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And then all these other strains of BA, whatever yes. they were, are all just different components of that. Where the virus will mutate over time. And if you think about it, it's just trying to survive. And inside its host, it doesn't yeah. want to kill its host. That's not its goal. Its yeah. goal is to just thrive inside the host and without killing it. So it's so a delicate well, balance. It wants to live. It wants to live. Its sole goal, just like us, is to survive. So science is just so 
Oh. It is. <laughs> it's just, it's um, just, it's just too much for me to think I, of. The, the, the <laughs> saying at the, at what I say at our laboratory is we have a, a definitive wall that separates our lab, the laboratory space from the admin space. And when I cross that threshold into the laboratory space, the average IQ drops by about eight points <laughs> back there. We have some wicked smart yeah, people. I'm sure there's people that are. I, they're working on projects right now that, that been, I'm enthused about them. I'm excited about them because I know what the end product is, and that's yeah. helping people. Yeah. But the pathway that the, these PhDs are taking to get there, it, it blows my mind. Yeah. I, one theme, uh, there's a couple of themes I want to point out. I feel like through what you've said in your life, one is helping people. There's something interesting. I don't know. I'm even trying to pick out what it was. Maybe it's just the way you're wired, the way God wired you or whatever, but about that, that's interesting. And I think in maybe just humans, if we really boil it down to it, we generally want to help people. We do. I think there's something about that, but you seem to have a real, I don't just want to help people. There's a, there's an impact that I want to make in this space and it's important to you. It's a, for me, it, it's when you can see a better way of delivering something and more efficient way of delivering something that people can benefit from. A prime example is when COVID first started and these tests were being sent 400 miles away on an airplane in a fuselage somewhere, and you have a patient that's sitting there that doesn't know whether they have coronavirus or not. Those kinds of things are they challenge me. I struggle with thinking about why would we do something that way? There's a much better way. There's a more efficient way to do these things. And so processes, while I don't perform in, in any scientific studies in our laboratory, I am involved in the process side of it. How our specimens come through our door and leave our door and that entire process in between. I'm a very process-minded person. And so when I see ways to eliminate extra steps or I see ways to eliminate processes to make them more streamlined, I get impassioned over yeah. that. And I think where, when we talk about helping people, one of the other sides of the coin of that for me is we have this incredible antibiotic resistance program inside our laboratory where we can tell a physician which antibiotic will work best for any patient that has a bacterial infection. And we can do it so fast. The current process involves sending a specimen out to a lab core. And lab core will take that specimen and they will spend two to three days growing it out inside a Petri dish to determine if it has a resistance or not. After 48 hours, if you've seen a doctor and a doctor tells you you have to wait 48 <laughs> hours to get your antibiotic, you're not going to be very happy well, with it. Usually because you've waited to the last minute anyhow. You've waited. <laughs> you're sick anyway <laughs> at that right. time. You're right. You went because you feel like crap. Since That's right. Yeah. And so we really need to curb our overutilization of antibiotics in this country. And so one way to do that is speed. We have to be able to deliver results back to the clinicians fast enough so that the end user, us, the patient, says, yeah, I can wait until later this afternoon or first thing in the morning till you tell me to fill this script or not. Yeah. I don't have to get started on this antibiotic. Here's the problem with antibiotics. We are all eventually, if we continue down this pathway, we're all going to be resistant yeah. to some of the best antibiotics that are out there. And when we truly need them in our 70s, 80s, 90s, when we have that bacterial infection or post-operative infection, not going to work or, for us. Yeah. So 
this antimicrobial resistance platform that we have is something that we offer for every test that we do. If it's a if it's a GI test that we do, or if it's an upper respiratory test, or if it's a wound, we can tell that physician at that you time. You tell them as a part of the response. That's it. Okay. Yeah, it comes Dumps. back. Give them this. Use this category of antibiotics. Huh. What that does is two things. First, it keeps the patient from ever using an antibiotic if they don't need it. Because if you have a virus, an antibiotic doesn't work, right? It's got to be bacterial in nature. So the second thing it does is if you did have that bacterial infection, then they put you on a beta-lactam antibiotic that you are resistant to. You took it for three days and they call you back and go, oh, by the way, that strain's resistant to that. Stop that one and get on this We're going to give you another one, yeah. This is where we have issues that are becoming very tough for hospitalists to deal with and even physicians, which is C. difficile, antibiotic-mediated C. difficile, which is the inability to control ourselves from going to the bathroom, from relieving ourselves, a chronic diarrhea. These are results of, These are results of, of, over of the utilization, overutilization of antibiotics. And C. difficile is becoming the number one infectious disease in our hospital systems now. Wow. So uh, used to top the charts on everything, and now it's becoming C. diff as a super bug. And that's all from that's antibiotics wild. and the overutilization. That's interesting. I don't know if you've been, you know, if you had COVID, so you probably maybe you've been to the doctor, but I, went, I had a really bad something. <laughs> that's what I'm calling them these days, something. A, I don't know what this is. It's something. I went to the doctor because I couldn't handle it anymore. Yeah. And plastered everywhere. Yeah. As don't, as don't, but they still give you antibiotics. They do. But everywhere. But I was reading some of it and I was like, I mean, it talks about overcoming these things. None of us will wait that long. Like it was like respiratory infections, three weeks, the common cold, two weeks. I was like, yeah, who's going to sit for three weeks and cough and hack and hope to God your body deals with it? Like everybody like, yes, yes, give me. Give it to me. Give me erythromax. Give me yep. some type of penicillin, yep. augmentin. Just give me something. So that makes a lot of sense. I just, I think that's slightly scary at the it, same time. When you look at on, on a world scale, which is the CDC looks at this as one of the biggest potential issues that we have in the next 25 years is antibiotic resistance. Before COVID, if, if you were to log onto a CDC website, the front page is how to deal with antibiotic resistance. How do we impact this? And it's mm -hmm. not, it's global, not just here. It, it's everywhere. And the other side of the coin is the development of antibiotics right now. We're, we're way behind the pharmaceutical companies are. They're not spending their dollars right now developing antibiotics. For big drugs, They're going cancer. after blockbuster. Uh, yeah, stroke, cancer, that stuff that makes sense to financial standpoint. The threat I just keep seeing, obviously, is just this whole tenacity, hard work. Even yeah. reading just low point, like the fact that you guys didn't take salary for a while. Yeah. You were, and, and, and it sounds like you, were, you had some early wins. We did. That maybe gave you some runway. We did. To be able to do things like that. So that's a gift. It is. Which is cool, too, to think. I just think about the story at the beginning. Yes. To the story today. And you say in here, probably that I'm not supposed to be here. Yeah. And like that's a, yeah. one of the cooler stories I think I've heard so far is yours. Yeah. Like, you, you've had some, it sounds like some of it's luck. It is. You know? Blessings, luck, heart. Yeah. Yeah. Some of it's yeah. hard work. Yeah. Your buddy. I think yeah. about that all the time. Like, yeah. Yeah. You had a friend. That yeah. worked at a place. Yep. And he said, hey, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. And that's, yeah. I don't know if you, if you read Malcolm Gladwell. I do. Or yep. He talks about stuff like yes, that. Yes, he does. And so it's interesting to think about that. Like it's, I tell, we work with a lot of young kids 
in tough situations. And I tell people a lot, like the things that a friend of mine said, it's not that there's not, that there's a lack of skill, there's a lack of access to the opportunities. Like these kids, you, yeah, obviously yeah. were very smart, young, talented, hardworking. Yeah. You just needed the opportunities. Yes. And just, I, it's really interesting to think about that. Look at you. And because probably, honestly, most people look at you and be like, oh, you probably grew up normal, yeah, huh? Yeah. You're, yeah. you're a you successful, do. you, you know, do. You fit middle aged white guy. Yeah. You and, slide into that role. Right. But then, then when you hear it, you're like, oh, yeah. You really was hard work and some pretty important people like your grandfather That's and your it. grandmother. Yeah. That's pretty. Yeah. And does discount your mom at all. No. She obviously set a tone for you she did. around hard work and effort she that did. you could see modeled. Yeah, I you saw know, it modeled. So. Yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head. It's that one person or those few people in your life that come alongside you and say, hey, you can do this. And it's going to be hard. Yeah. You know, it, and when you know that intrinsically, you you face it differently. When you know that there will be trouble, it's we read that, right? The Bible tells us that. But when you know, hey, this is not going to come easy, and you hear in your mind your grandfather say, anything that's worth having is worth working for, which is effort. You have to put the work into yeah. it. And that became my adage when I was growing up, when I would fail. All right, I learned not to do it that way. That's That, that doesn't work. Let's yeah. try it this way. I think it's having those people that are willing to invest a little time in you to say, we see that you can do it. You can do it. It's cool. How do you have a young daughter? Is her name again? I do. Ka Kate. Kate. Catherine. Yeah. yeah. So she's eight. I think she's, she's eight. On here. Yeah. I think one of the hardest challenges as a parent, and I didn't come from the same as you, probably more middle class to lower middle class mm -hmm. as far as socioeconomic. Yeah. A lot of great opportunities and stuff, but. Similar, like my dad, yeah. hard worker. That's what anybody knows me. And I just, I'm not work you. It's just how I've yep. always been. Yep. And, but how do you, this is the hard part. Like it is. when we start to have success, it's easy to not put that same level of work into our kids. So how's, how do you do that? We so hard, but how do you do kids? We're relying on some smart people who we've seen model that with their kids yeah. to help us with that. We, she doesn't have to walk to, she doesn't have to, she's to not sell walking, garbage, no, to, to she's, taking out garbage. She's not she taking out, see, I was, so I was her age whenever I was knocking that's on what I think doors about. and going, Hey, we'll take your garbage that's out. That's what I think of. Cents. She doesn't have to do that. She doesn't have to do that. She think, and she has some physical things that she's dealing with now. She was born with a congenital defect called an AVM. And so she has had arteriovascular malformation. Just okay. think about high pressure high pressure arteries entering into low pressure veins it's in her in her brain oh, wow. and she's had quite a bit of therapy as a kid so one of the things that i know about my daughter i've seen my tenacity in her That's in cool. the way of her response to getting better getting well it's awesome so while she doesn't have the the struggle of maybe survival that I looked at times and thought, man, this is survival for me as a kid. She does have that I have to work hard to get to where I need to be. And so we've been trying to use that to teach her about hard work and how 
if you want something, sometimes you just have to put the work in to get it. So that's been one way that we're approaching it with her. And Dude, it's even harder when your kid disability or something like that. That makes it even harder because the generally you just want to do whatever you can to make it as easy as yes, that's, just, that's hard. Yes, so kudos to you guys. So even for little bits, like, yeah, we we just we tell her all the time you're going because she she became paralyzed on the right side of her body with the treatment that she got. And her prognosis is good long-term, like she'll overcome this, but she is in the interim, she's struggling. And so we use that to teach her about how, well, life's not always fair. Things get thrown at you and you can either, you can choose to let those things define you or you can grab a hold of that and you can define it. She's doing as an eight-year-old. What is she with? Having that now, does she go to school or are you homeschooling? Or she what? does. Yeah. So, She's a smart kid. Her, my wife. Obviously she has two smart parents. Well, why? <laughs> I, I always say my wife, she's a national merit scholar, valedictorian, oh, all wow. this. So, so my she's daughter the got her genes. <laughs> she got her genes for mine's hard work, tenacity, yeah. uh, <laughs> but my wife's is definitely the book smart side of it. I, we're a pretty good team when it comes to trying to help her. She goes to a little private school called Padea. Yeah. And Padea has been great. Yeah. Eric uh, Chandler. Know of Eric. Okay. Yeah. yeah. His wife taught yeah. there for a while. He works. It's, it's a great school. Yeah. And she's got incredible friends there. And they all know, obviously, she's not hiding her condition. Yeah. She has the paralysis that's going on. She works hard. I don't know. I, I'd say harder than most kids. Mm -hmm. But she's also been given some a lot of brain cells, too. So... She's going to be okay. Yeah. Her big thing right now is we're just trying to get her to be motivated. Yeah. That's a challenge for a lot of us with kids. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yes. What? Oh, and I saw in here, if you if you want to talk about adoption, is this something that is international, domestic? What are you guys looking at? We've been in the domestic adoption process okay. for a while. We're excited. We don't, we're in God's waiting room on that. We don't know when that's going to happen, but certainly we would love to expand our family. Is she excited about it, Kate? Very She's excited. Like, when's that happening? <laughs> <laughs> when is it happening? When a, do I get a sister? I was like, she have a pig sister? Oh, she yeah. wants a sister? Yeah, she wants yeah. a sister. That's she cool. does. Yeah. I'm curious, looking back, I think we talked about a few things, but in the end, if you were talking to somebody, maybe Kate, or maybe your future adopted daughter or son, and they yeah. were like 19 or 20 and like, hey, I'm thinking about starting a business or doing something, what words of wisdom would you impart to, or anyone, a young kid, and you're talking to a kid who's in high school or graduating from college, what do you think the key things you would impart to them are? First and foremost, I would tell them, I think they're making the right decision. If you get to the point as an adult or as a young adult, and you're still considering being your own boss and working for yourself, you've probably put a fair amount of thought into that. And if you're still considering doing it, I'd say that's the right decision. Mm -hmm. I would want to make sure that I communicated equally the challenges versus the rewards that can come from that. I think we do a disservice and I'll indict myself to a degree. We do a disservice when we're having conversations with kids who might potentially be considering that where we leave out the challenge, yeah. the crucible, if you will, it, which is where we all learn and get better from that. It's uh, success is rarely a, an arrow straight. You know that, Paul, For you've sure. been involved in that. I've certainly been in that myself. It takes effort. It takes time. And where you think that you're going 
on day one of your company isn't always where you wind up. And you need, we can all have goals and we can all have our strategic plan in place, but we also need to pivot yeah. from time to time. And I think teaching these kids that pivot side of it and having that direct conversation to say, if it's not working, be willing to move and be willing to try something different. We've had to, I wouldn't say, we started out, we were taking left and right turns along the path. And now we, we have a curve every now and then, yeah. or it's a pivot that we take. It's not a full right turn or a left turn. We're still, we still have our goals in front of us and where we want to be in, in 2025. But we do pivot. And I think it's critical for people, especially folks who are type A personalities, to understand early on that, that you should expect that. Stanley says it really well. He says, Never die on the hill of your plans. There you die go. Die on the hill of your vision. Man, that's... So whatever it is you're trying to go do, that never changes. So for you, it sounds well like said. some type of impact really changing, helping people. The plans change. They do. Economy changes. That's it. You may develop something that doesn't work. I listened to the story of Airbnb the other day and like those guys, wow. if you listen to what they were trying to do, that isn't what Probably doesn't look anything here. <laughs> you know. And the things they did to get there. I think when you listen to most stories of entrepreneurs who've built something, you find out that there's a lot of, there's a lot of things they thought that didn't materialize because, and that's part of it. It's a little bit like science. You have a hypothesis. Yes. And then you go and try to prove it. And when you find out it doesn't work, you just have to come up with a new hypothesis and start testing that out or go to what yeah. works. You may yeah, find that's an hypothesis that, oh, wait, that's actually what works. The blessings that can be found in that. You have this vision for moving in a certain direction and then it becomes wildly more yeah. than you ever thought it was going to be because you stumbled upon that or you didn't stumble upon it, but you're essentially doing the research and realize, wow, this is two iterations from where we started, but it's so much better. Yeah. Overhead is so much lower and our cash flows are so much better and all these other things yeah. add up. What if you have, what do you see for integrity? What's next? You mentioned 2025, what year? Sounds like we're around the same age. You're early yeah. 50s. Yeah, I'm, I'm 50. I, I just, turned 50 in May. Yeah. So, okay. yeah, I turned just, 50 uh, yesterday. Did you? <laughs> Happy birthday. Thanks. Yeah. And I think of work. I can't, I don't actually know what retirement even looks like. So, I don't even yeah. I don't know about that. But we have uh, our organization, we, we've got so many great people inside it, and each of them have a really unique skill set. And we've looked at a lot of different verticals that we could bring in to what we do. We feel like there's a lack of a lack of direct consumer options out in the marketplace right now where let's say for instance the family is getting ready to go to a wedding and we we just want to make sure that no one here has let's just use covid because COVID. we've all been in the middle of that. We can drive within a reasonable distance to a place to get a covid test and with 100% accuracy know within 12 hours whether we have it. So I think that as a community, we can all stand to benefit from becoming a becoming more aware of our health and taking on a little bit more of, and I'm not saying we're going to be our own doctors by any stretch of the imagination, but I feel like knowing that you have the flu before you go see the physician is a really good thing. I feel like the process right now that we're involved in as a culture is we go to the doctor feeling bad, they run a test. <laughs> And then three days later, we find out what, or two days later, and if you're lucky, maybe 48 hours later, you find out what's wrong with you. If you can walk into that physician and say, hey, look, I have flu A, what's right. next? That's you get great. treated immediately. Yeah, so yeah. you, 
that continuum that we found ourselves on now for the last hundred years of medicine, mm -hmm. flipping that around and being able to go to your physician and say, it's infected, doctor. Here's the, here's what's on there. Here's the, the bugs that are on there. That's good. And let them treat, which is what they went to school to do. Hmm. Diagnostician is a very, being a diagnostician or diagnostics physician is wonderful, but 88% of all testing from a primary care or all visits from a primary care physician wind up with a test. Yeah with some type of diagnostic test. So if we're able to jump over that and Speed go in and up. say the flu or call. Yeah. Or just get sent to them. And get sent to them. Yeah. You go, yeah. The, you go take the tests and your physician is whatever. And, and yeah. And they call to... you, hey, you got yep. your test. And yep. <laughs> see, you right. the flu and we've already called in. Possible. Yeah. I wonder too, this is a far stretch, but I've always been surprised by going and getting your annual physical and the lack of testing they do. I'm like, why as the insurance company, would you not want to test me for everything? Give me a freaking CT scan. <laughs> Just yes. like, it feels like you would want to know that I have this before yes. I have it. Yes. Before it gets really bad. Yes. Like you would want to say, Hey, you have a mass or yes. there's this thing growing, this thing. Like I just, I, that still blows my mind. I'm like, why is it that you do all the tests after yes. this? Yes. You, why just do them ahead of time? I'm fine. I'd be fine to take a whole day. <laughs> and go through all the crap yes. to know that I do or don't have something. <laughs> we could all be served well through that style of medicine. Right? And I think as the as we continue down this pathway, we're going to see more of that. So, we have a, we're working right now on a diagnostic test that uncovers early identifiers for cancer. And we're hopeful that, we're, well, and along with our whole mantra of time, it's about time, which is one of the things our company is built upon. We're going to be able to offer this test within 24 hours. The current standard is four days. Wow. So if you're someone who shows up at your oncologist office as a referral from a primary care physician because they think that you might have cancer and you have a test taken, it could be four or five days now, long Which time is to wait. unnerving, sitting uh, there yeah, wondering. As a family, yeah. And you and your family member are standing around waiting. So bridging that gap and being able to offer near-term diagnostic outcomes for physicians, they're also finding the more studies that are being done, that the faster you can both identify and treat, so time to treatment, better the long-term survival outcomes are for these patients. Yeah. So we're working in that arena as well to bring those early cancer ID identifiers early cancer identifiers to market man thanks for what you're i think sometimes we again don't know what labs are but so thanks for what you're doing absolutely for your heart for yes. making things better you're well thanks for sharing your story i really appreciate it you're i well. think it will inspire people i'm inspired listen to us so thanks for taking the time thank you for inviting me it's been great i appreciate it yeah you're welcome All right, that's the end of episode two with Christian and the end of our two-part series with him. Such a joy to have him on the show and to listen to his story um, and inspiring to hear his background and uh, where he's been able to build integrity and the things that have shaped him to get to that point. So thanks for listening. 